0: The Walters Tree Tirement Plan. This week we have some big news out of Ward 10 about the election, and oh God, is this already an election podcast? Plus, we've got news about tanks,
1: Hyperloops, Casey Medu success stories, and a whole host of other things you shouldn't buy.
0: Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 96. And we haven't done this in a while. So I figure right off the top, we get to do it a little bit. Let's talk about journalism a little bit, because you and I have both lamented in the past about past elections in the city of Edmonton and how atrociously they've been covered. And we've always said, this is horrible. This is not enough. This is harmful to our democracy. And you own a journalism company now. That's right. We've talked about them. Atrocious is one word, I
1: suppose, but they're very formulaic. They're very predictable. You know, we see the same types of coverage every time. And now we're actually in a position to do something different. So Taproot Edmonton is well into planning uh, our election coverage for 2021 already. We're going to have lots more
0: to say about that in the next few weeks. Um, and we're going to take a different approach. We'll share more details about that in the future. But right now we've got a concrete ask, because speaking municipally for some reason, this thing that I started doing has some value now. Uh, It's going to be a big part of that election coverage. And you can help us out by just sharing the podcast. Know a friend who either knows or doesn't know anything about municipal politics. Send them a tweet, a Facebook message or whatever sort of communique would be most effective to them. And just let them know that we exist. It would
1: be a big help for us. We want to help as many Edmontonians as possible in the next year leading up to the election.
0: And so the more people listening to us, the better. Yeah. And speaking of this inclusive, all-encompassing, let's make a bigger tent message, let's get right onto the rapid fire where we alienate people. Shocking news from the Alberta government today. Apparently, the province cutting taxes with oil revenue plummeting and dramatically increasing spending on COVID-19 measures has caused the largest deficit in the province's history. In a press conference earlier today, Premier Jason Kenney looked perplexed at the $24.2 billion hole in this year's finances, saying, quote, "'Boy, how did the NDP sneak this one past us?' Social media was flooded with pictures Tuesday evening as
1: every Edmontonian, seemingly at once, took note of the varying splashes of color across the evening sky. A local Twitter anthropologist has said that it has become the most photographed event since the completion of the Walterdale Bridge." While many were excited by the gorgeous views and appreciated the reminder of why we collectively tolerate some of the less hospitable weather conditions we all endure, some found the flood frustrating. Said a branch manager of infrastructure at the city of Edmonton, quote, we just installed a new bridge over Connors Road and it's got some swoopy designs and all that trendy crap. But did anyone photograph that? It's like when you buy your kid a new toy and they play with the wrapper instead. What's even the point?
0: All new projects are going to be Keeler Point viewing area from now on. I'm going on vacation. Alfonso Davies, a soccer player who got his start in Edmonton, won the championship league title, one of the most prestigious awards one can receive in soccer. The 19-year-old who had come to Edmonton as a gone-in refugee when he was five shows the aspirations in all of us. We all dream of changing the world, doing great things, being rock stars, renowned scientists, astronauts, heroes, internationally recognized broadcasters. But for many of us, We're still just stuck alone in a 1947 semi-bungalow with our two cats recording a podcast that might be listened to by what? 12 people? And it's really, can you quiet down out there? I'm trying to record a podcast. I swear I'll take you back to the Humane Society.
1: Speaking Municipally is a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by CPA Alberta. It may be a cliche to say by now, but we really are living in unprecedented times. That's why you should consider hiring a chartered professional accountant, also known as a CPA, to help guide you through this pandemic and jumpstart your recovery. With a CPA on your team, you can be confident you will find the best solutions to even your biggest business problems. CPAs are trained to dig in and truly understand how an organization operates, where it's already excelling, and how it can be better. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And of course, you can also visit cpaalberta.com to find out more.
0: So, a couple of weeks ago, I had asked the question where's Michael Walters? Isn't he running for mayor? Why isn't he making some more noise? And oh boy, did he make some noise this week. Um, but turns out he's not running for mayor. Turns
1: out that's right. And I was very surprised by this, not just because you and I have talked before about how he seemed to be, you know, one of the shoo-ins for a candidate uh, for mayor, assuming, I guess, Don Iverson doesn't run again, Um, but also because, you know, the tweet that came out the day before this announcement said he was going to be on Jesperson's show on 6.30 chat in the morning. And as like, well, you wouldn't announce you're going on the show if you're not running, right? Surely this is a like campaign launch announcement, something like that. But no, Michael Walters is not only not running for mayor, he's decided
0: he's not running for council again next time. And that aforementioned Ryan Jesperson show, it's very interesting when you listen to it because Ryan says the words, air apparent several times during the show. He was as floored as we were that Walters isn't running because like we all have said for weeks, it seemed like the obvious choice. Walters has said a lot of things like, oh, it's cliched, but you know, I want to spend more time with my family. I got a work-life balance. And... I mean, I guess so. Like, it, it's very hard to grapple with the very real possibility that someone might actually want to spend more time with their family. And it's not some sort of cynical political play. Maybe he's taking a look at the tea leaves here and are the not so subtle messages
1: about what kind of an election campaign this is going to be and decided, nope, that's not for me. I'm out.
0: Yeah, I had some discussions with other people who were having issues understanding where this came from. And through a bit of devil's advocate, I landed on one possible political savvy cynicism explanation for this, which is that Michael Walters looked at the field that's coming down the pipe. And it is clear that despite all of our hopes and desires, Mike Nickel might not be a nothing candidate. So you have Mike Nickel, you have Tim Cartmel, and you have Iveson, who apparently might run again. No one really knows. And he changed the tack and now has sort of switched to an Iveson booster. And I think that's because he realized that he doesn't want to sit in the counselor's chair anymore. And the mayor's chair isn't his for the taking. And if he tried for it, he might irreparably damage the chances of someone else who he'd much rather see than Mike Nickel or Tim Cartmell. And that might be why he's making the choice he did. I think there was one interesting thing that I saw slip by that no one covered at length, which is Walters did say that the stuff he wants to do, because some of his legacy is about uh, regional collaboration, about homelessness... And he said that he just can't get it done at the city level. Like mm. the province has always been the person hamstringing the efforts of city council to end homelessness. So that did seem to me like a bit of a stealth launch of a provincial campaign.
1: Yeah, these are the two other possibilities that that I considered right away. One is, you know, as he said in his statement he urges other people, particularly women, visible minorities, people from marginalized communities to take the leap and run for office. And so maybe, as you say, he's stepping aside so that he can put his support and experience behind some other candidates. Um, but the other reason is maybe he wants to run at either provincial or federal office, right? There might be a shot at both of those coming up. He'd be well positioned from a name recognition point of view, at least, and has certainly shown an interest in uh, in some of those issues that, are, that tend to be handled more at the provincial level. So I think that's a very real possibility. Assuming, of course, that we don't believe what he says about wanting to spend time with family, which
0: we should probably just give him the benefit of the doubt. He probably does. And I mean, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. One can take four years off and spend some time with the family and then jump into the provincial ring. Uh, And it is worth mentioning that Michael Walters was on the ground floor of the Alberta Party. So forays into provincial politics aren't out of the question for him. It's it's happened before. Right. That's right. Really. Other than that, there's not much left to say about it. Michael Walters is now out of the race. So the field becomes that much narrower. I think it is very interesting that Michael Walters announced so far ahead of time. And normally I would have been frustrated with this because I hate long election campaigns. I really appreciate, especially federally in our country, we have this short one or two month campaign period versus something in the States where it is a perpetual election. So normally I'd be very frustrated with Michael Walters announcing something election focused so early, but because in the past he has won with such a screaming mandate, it's very hard for a serious candidate to challenge Michael Walters just because incumbency advantage is so strong. And then Michael Walters' incumbency is even stronger. Serious candidates might have looked at other wards. Him announcing early allows people who would be another progressive voice to really establish, get their organization together and get their team together to put on a legitimate run in what will become the new Ward 10 with the new Ward boundaries. So I think that's what he was doing, and especially with his comments about uh, visible minorities and women. But we'll we'll see what materializes out of that. And I guess
1: it's official now. We have not only our first person out of the race, this is our first confirmation that
0: we'll have a new councillor in 2021. That is true. Uh, we do have inklings that uh, yes. certain people will be retiring, but no one has as of yet confirmed. Being a lame duck is never a uh, desired thing right. when you're sitting on city council. But I will say, and Michael Walters is really living up to this so far. When Michael Oshry became a lame duck counselor after he announced he wasn't going to run for re-election, he made a motion to raise taxes on the suburbs. And we're already seeing Michael Walters really amp up the rhetoric. He's calling out Lauren Gunter this week for a racist column about Pekowin. He's calling out Mike Nickel for not showing up to work. He's really amping up the voice and maybe being a bit of an attack dog for some of his friends. And I appreciate it. It's it's nice to see. Spicy
1: Walters on Twitter is a good Walters.
0: Speaking of some spice, we got a spicy story that sparked a spicy petition about burning $500,000 in uh, <laughs> Churchill Square. It came to light this week that the Edmonton Police Commission has allocated a budget of $500,000 to purchase a third armor vehicle for the EPS fleet. Gotta say... With the Defund the Police movement, that was a surprising headline to read.
1: No doubt. I saw the journal article about this 10 days ago now, talking about or the possibility that city police would add a third. We have two already? Like, what do we use these for? Anyway, that they would add a third. It just wasn't confirmed. And then Progress Alberta was able to confirm that uh, this is on the cards and they expect it to arrive sometime this fall. And it's just like, did we time warp or something? Did we not just have this debate about policing and the budget for that? Did we not have lots of discussion about how we spend that money and how we might spend it in a better way? Like, I get that probably something like this might have been in progress, but that doesn't mean it can't be stopped given the reality of the day. Like, this is a mind boggling decision to me.
0: So, when I read this, I made a somewhat tongue in cheek petition on change.org, as one does when they want to legitimately change something. And it said, you know, let's just withdraw small denomination bills. $20 or so, get $500,000 of them, light them on fire in the middle of Churchill Square. That is better than buying a police vehicle. (laughs) Sure, it's a bit tongue in cheek burning money, but the idea is sort of there. Literally, burning the money would be better than buying this armored vehicle because we have so many communities speaking up about violence in policing and police becoming militarized and more aggressive. And this only serves to further that narrative. So, like you said, this procurement started around 2017. There's probably something already in the pipe and to cancel it would probably cost money. Money well spent, probably, right?
1: There's no way the cost to cancel it would have been anywhere close to $500,000. The other point on this that I wanted to make was just about the transparency of it, right? So uh, the journal reported that the 2019 policing plan had about $28 million earmarked for vehicle replacements. So that's every vehicle, you know, for the police, whether it's a squad car or tactical. They said even one of the two helicopters. So, like, there's no clear line item that says we're going to buy a new armored vehicle. And it said in the plan that workload for the tactical section is significant and gaps in coverage are currently being mitigated with high levels of standby pay
0: and overtime. Are we paying the tanks by the hour? (laughs) I, I thought this was capital. Some would say that to... Say the police can't spend this five hundred thousand dollars is micromanagement. Yeah, which normally I would say for five hundred k in the scope of a budget that's three hundred million dollars. Yeah, it might be micromanagement to be concerned about every five hundred grand here and there. However, this was part of like you said, routine vehicle replacement. There is a very different perspective between replacing a Dodge Charger yeah. and replacing a tank. It would be like if Edmonton Transit Service said, "Um, oh, one of these diesel buses is aging, so they bought an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. outside your mandate to do that. You have a lot of counselors. I saw Aaron Paquette had tweeted that, you yeah. know, the, the Police Act does have some separation of powers. I call hogwash on all of that. City Council can set the budget and they can set arbitrary restrictions. They don't have to say you can't buy the tank, but they can say if you do buy the tank, we're reducing your budget by $500,000. Absolutely. Or, or even just reducing the increase by $500,000. <laughs> oh, to dream. Speaking of dreams, the Alberta government has dreamed the biggest dream this week that, sure... Commuter rail, not feasible between Edmonton and Calgary. High-speed rail, not feasible. Let's build a hyperloop because Elon Musk says we can.
1: For the 50th time now, I suppose, we're talking about some sort of high-speed corridor between Edmonton and Calgary. They've signed a memorandum of understanding this week with a company out of Toronto called Transpod. They're one of the four or five companies that have popped up around the world following Elon Musk's Hyperloop stuff. Uh, and they want to build this 6 to $8 billion Hyperloop that would take you from Edmonton to Calgary in just 30 minutes. And it uses these vacuum tubes. It's not rail. Sounds very futuristic, probably is a pipe dream or a tube dream, as it were, isn't going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but it's the kind of thing that people like to get excited about.
0: While I opened this segment with severe cynicism about this, because let us be clear, this will never get built. And if it is built, it would be a catastrophic failing of good governance. Mm. However, there is merit to allowing experimentation because it is a Toronto-based company, TransPod, that basically just wanted some crown land uh, north of Calgary to just do a 10-kilometer test of the technology. And while we should never build it here there's a case to be made that maybe, you know, between Quebec City and Toronto or somewhere in Canada that this technology could be deployed. And if that's being developed and tested on Alberta soil with presumably contributions to the Alberta economy by doing research and development here, that's a good thing. We should always encourage R&D. I just worry about the end goal here being, and the story being, a thousand kilometer an hour hyperloop between Calgary and Edmonton versus Toronto Company does research and development in Alberta. Assuming that
1: what the reports are true, what we're meant to uh, understand this week from all of this is that they tried to do this with the NDP government, and one of their stipulations was that they tear down that test track so that it really could be used for R&D. They'd build the 10-kilometer thing, they'd test it out, they'd gather whatever data, and then that test track would go away. they They didn't want to have to tear it down. And so that's one of the things apparently the UCP government has said that's okay.
0: It seems like another orphaned well situation, except with uh, vacuum tubes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I mean, here's the thing with this Hyperloop, right? There's always the same situation that comes up when anyone ever starts talking about high-speed rail or any of these kinds of things. So the first is that this is futuristic. This is something that will happen in the future. Inevitably, somebody will say, well, why don't we build it with technology we already have? They already have trains that go 500 kilometers an hour or whatever it is in other places. Why don't we build that here? And then the question becomes, well, if there's money for a rail between Edmonton and Calgary, why wouldn't we spend that in the cities first, right? What's the point of getting from Edmonton to Calgary in half an hour on this futuristic vacuum tube or in an hour or two on a a high-speed rail if you then have to get into a car on either end to actually get anywhere, right? If there's money for rail, clearly that should be spent within the cities first rather than on this corridor. So that's kind of the discussion that always comes up. Councillor Paquette served it right up this week, right? He, He basically said that. We could do this right now with existing rail technology, but you follow that line of thinking, you have to end up that we should be spending on rail in Edmonton and Calgary first.
0: As we're having this discussion, the Valley Line West is a contentious plan that always seems to be on the brink of cancellation. The Green Line in Calgary has a reduced scope, and then an increased scope, and then a reduced scope, and then cancellation on the horizon. It's an uncertain project. If we can't build critical rail services within a city, how are we ever going to build it along the QE2? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the the other thing then that bothers me about this is... I understand why people who support the Innovation Corridor and some of these other economic development ideas are excited about the Hyperloop, right? Like, I totally get that it would make a big difference for business to be able to go from Ebony to Calgary that quickly. But this is, by definition, almost a tool for the rich. You know, a one-way ticket is going to be at least $60 you can't afford that unless you're probably upper middle class, right? So we're, we're kind of pricing out a part of our population. And the, the people that we're pricing out are the same people that would benefit most from having a well-defined and built out transit network within the city where they actually do need to get around and go from place to place. So it, it definitely speaks to the growing income disparity. And it's a bit concerning that People are so quick to jump on this idea for this, you know, sexy corridor without thinking about what it would mean for our neighbors.
0: And even you mentioned the pricing out and the building for the rich. The idea of Hyperloop pods is rather than having a train car that can fit a bunch of people in it, you have tiny pods that are private and like the interior of, go figure, a car. Right. Which it is very appealing to people who drive on the QA2 to still have a car that goes a thousand kilometers an hour. But it doesn't get us to our mass transit and wouldn't be a good ROI. The, the last problem then that always comes up for me on this
1: is it's private money. Let the private company build it. What could go wrong? What do you think would happen, Troy, if TransPod built this thing and lo and behold, it didn't make as much money as they thought?
0: Well, far be it from me to channel Mike Nickel, but it would be on the government to take up operations of this now orphaned project. Right. So, I mean, this is never, uh, if you, if you th- really think about it, this is never going to be a truly private thing. So that's another big problem. And it could never be a truly private thing because as much as you can build it with private money and that's one cost, the amount of land you need to purchase to build a right of way all the way from Edmonton to Calgary, astronomically priced. Right. The Hyperloop It's a good way of visualizing how little our province is truly thinking about the infrastructure of our cities, where most of the people live. And what better way to highlight that broken relationship than with municipal affairs minister Casey Maddow, or not anymore. He got promoted this week.
1: Yeah, I love Dave Cornway's headline on his blog post about this, Failing Upwards, Casey Maddow Promoted to Justice After Disastrous Year in Municipal Affairs. Uh, Premier uh, Jason Kenney announced a little mini cabinet shuffle this week, uh, leaving, of course, health and education untouched, uh, but moving some other people around. One of those is Casey Madu, who will now run the Justice Department, while Doug Schweitzer moves over to what was formerly Economic Development, Tourism and Trade and is now something about jobs and recovery. Uh, <laughs> it's a marketing exercise. But Casey Maddu, when I saw this news, I sent you a Slack and I said, he's out. And you're like, well, I wouldn't call getting promoted being out.
0: And it's true. I found it very hilarious when there was rumors of cabinet shuffle happening at 1130 when it happened. And there were people posting Twitter polls. It's like, who's going to get the boot? Is it going to be Shandro? Is it going to be Adriana Lagrange? And what happened was that just we promoted what I would argue is the least effective minister, Casey Madu. And then you moved Doug Schweitzer to the Ministry of Pipelines, if we're being honest about what it is. <laughs> I want I wanted to defend quickly that point about the least effective minister, because I bet some people were listening and thinking, Tyler Shandro yelling at doctors on their driveways and starting a brain drain on Alberta, that's not effective ministerial leadership. To which I would say, Isn't it, though? Sure, it doesn't get us progress as a uh, province, but I do think that everything Tyler Shandro intended to do, he did do. Casey Madu, on the other hand, had to build relationships with our cities and at every turn had this paternalistic, condescending, we-know-best relationship with the cities. And I would say it's fair that it's blown up in the UCP's face They have lost the confidence of almost all municipalities across the province. And just Edmonton and Calgary, fine, whatever, those urbanites, the UCP doesn't care. But even rural municipalities have become fed up with Casey Maddow. And when rural municipalities are losing the UCP's favor, that seems to be a step too far. Yeah, Dave Cornway talked about how it's likely that uproar in
1: rural Alberta over municipalities over exemptions to oil and gas taxes kind of got this shuffle with Medu out as municipal affairs minister. You can't tick off the rural people for sure. It's not just about oil and gas taxes either. We've we've heard from numerous municipalities over the last few months about the approach to the Local Elections Authorities Act and the lack of transparency, the lack of engagement, that they don't really
0: care what the municipalities think. So he's been burning bridges left, right, and center. Which does seem weird that that would earn him a promotion. um, but that's what happened. Minister of Justice, you get the title Solicitor general. that's that's a big role. And to give that to Casey Mado does seem like a weird decision, but I think it does cement the politics that we're going to see in the province and seep down into our cities where Casey Maddu might not have been good at his job, might not have built positive relationships with cities, but he was a stalwart UCP loyalist, and he mm. did not question the party at any turn. And I think that's what you're finding is seeping down to other lower forms of government. Mike Nickel this week. Wow. how I, What's the recording time at... <laughs> Are we far enough along that we cannot talk about Mike Nickel? Yeah, I was going to say, can we just end the episode? I will say quickly Mike Nickel this week, he went on his tirade about being censored by the uh, Edmonton City Council and by Don Iveson. And Matt Wolf, the uh, UCP talking head, hmm. picked up the tweet and said, This is unacceptable. And then Mike Nickel said, I want you to put this on Jason Kenny's desk. And I think that signals exactly where. Politics in this province are going where Nickel wants a bump to his campaign. Nickel wants to succeed with a conservative base. So he's appealing and he's projecting himself as a UCP party stalwart and yeah. towing the exact line. And that's very dangerous for our cities because the UCP has been anything but kind to our municipalities. Right. However, some people are kind to the citizens of our city, specifically podcasters, and that's the Edmonton Community Foundation, who is the presenting sponsor of this week's episode. The ECF acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the ECF in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. And this year's focus is on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, sport, and recreation. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. And I think that'll wrap it up with this week. We almost made it through a full 30 minutes without mentioning Mike Nickel, but it happened. What are you
1: going to do? You will be mentioned quite extensively next week, I'm guessing. And I don't think we'll have to walk this one back. Sanction hearing is on September 2nd.
0: Who knows? uh, Maybe Jason Kenney will come in and cancel the sanction hearing because you did see (laughs) Mike Nickel tweet at him and Twitter. That's a powerful platform. We'll have to watch that. Until next week, remember to like, share, and subscribe or whatever podcasters are supposed to say. That's the equivalent of that. We'll see you next week. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.